and welcome to another edition of the Standig Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic, which means, yeah, I've spent more time focusing on Congress over the last few days than I have uh, the team's uh, big board for the upcoming draft. New reports out about uh, potential financial improprieties going on with the organization. What does this have to do with Dan Snyder? Is this the... Is this what takes him down? These are the questions that people are asking, discussing, thinking about, maybe in some cases dreaming about. I'm going to get to that and my my views of some of this in a moment. Uh, my big guest today, he's back, uh, Zach Kiefer, my colleague who covers the Indianapolis Colts for The Athletic. You know, I thought we might be done with Zach, at least for now. He was on a few weeks ago, right after, or right the same day that they made the trade for Carson Wentz. Last week at the owners' meeting, Zach had more news because Jim Irsay talked on the record about the Colts getting rid of Carson Wentz, and that made a lot more headlines. So I wanted to bring Zach back to sort of maybe to some degree tie off the Colts part of this discussion and also get into a few things, including are the Colts almost maybe overcompensating a bit by the constant uh, bashing of Carson Wentz, or they may be focusing on trying to put the blame somewhere else rather than focus on their own issues. We'll get to all that and more with Zach, and I'll, and I'll of course, share some notes about this team, including a couple things on the stadium. Uh, we'll get to all that in a moment here on the Standing Room Only podcast, which, of course, you can find on iTunes, Spotify, The Athletic app, or anywhere else you do your podcasting. And speaking of The Athletic, on Monday morning, I should have a new article up. It's with regards to... What's the latest with Terry McLaurin's situation? I know everybody's kind of wondering what is taking so long? What is going on here? Um, I've spoken to a bunch of people around the league um, about this situation. I'm going to give you guys the latest there so you can check out the article. Also, how it connects with what else is going on with the roster. So all that will be on The Athletic. I sh- It should be up Monday morning. I'm taping this on Sunday night. Um, and you can, of course, subscribe to The Athletic. It, the deal right now, I believe it still is, $1 a month for six months so easy way to get in if you've been waiting to check everything out um so you can do that for sure um and if you missed it last week on friday i had up a new article sort of my my notebook dump of everything i learned at the combine and so on or the combine <laughs> everything i bet from the owners meeting uh from you know ron rivera's uh some of his takeaways on Carson Wentz that we hadn't really heard about before, Scott Turner's extension, Washington, how come Washington is not really spending a lot so far in free agency, a bunch of that and more. Uh, You can check that out. And one other thing just to mention, I believe I hinted at this the other day, but I am still planning on doing a first round mock draft on this podcast for subscribers only. I, I will let you know, when that is live, but uh, that is still the plan. Obviously, there would be a lot, lot of focus on Washington's options, but I do like to do the mock drafts, as you guys know, and thought, why not? We, why not use this uh, platform to do just that? People have been asking me when my mock drafts are going to come out, and this felt like a good way to get it done. So look out for that. If, if things go well, it should be up this week, but there's obviously a lot in the air with regards to this team at any moment in time, but that's the plan. A first-round mock draft here on the Standard Room Only podcast for subscribers only, meaning you would listen to it on the Athletic app. But I will let you know when that happens. So before we get to my conversation with Zach Kiefer, I do feel compelled to address 
uh, some of the news that is going on. It was reported by the Washington Post as well as uh, front office sports in a couple of different ways with regards to that Congress is investigating the organization for financial improprieties. That was the initial report from the Washington Post. A subsequent reporting came out from front office sports that said something to the effect of that effectively Dan Snyder may or may not be um, hiding money from his other owners. Um, and th- and that could lead to there mul- maybe multiple books out there. I don't want to go too deep into this reporting in in that in in a couple of regards. One, it's not my reporting; it's other people's reporting. But I have made a bunch of calls about this and spoken to people on this. And I understand, of course, that people are excited. For a long time, suffering fans of this football team are are constantly wondering what is going on here with this owner. How come? Nothing ever seems to stick with him or take him down if that's what you're looking to uh, to take place. I don't. I, I will just say for those who are getting excited about this particular endeavor, I, I would just say I would slow the roll on that. I don't know where this is going, but I would venture to guess that I don't think a lot of people do. The initial reporting here, to me, I'm not questioning the reporters because I don't know what they have, but I'm not seeing anything that is particularly sticky right now everything seems pretty thin and from what i have been told and speaking to other people i'm not sure that there is a ton here there's only so much i can kind of say right now well if you check out um the athletic later this week we may have some uh, additional reporting and there may be some other things out there from other outlets as well um whether dan snyder did something right wrong or whatever i just think it's important to go where the facts take us, right? I, I brought this up before. This is a really terrible analogy, but like when I was covering the Wizards and people would call me as some sort of an Ernie Grunfeld defender, it would be because I wouldn't just automatically say no matter what happened, he was to blame. I would look at the situation and try to point out, well, actually, maybe this was the case or that was the case, and this is why things went down a certain way. And obviously, talking about some transactions with the Wizards is far different than potentially serious um, allegations being made here um, with regards to Dan Snyder. And this is this is not even in factoring in the allegations of her- sexual and workplace harassment that we've all obviously been talking about for over a year now. It is just to say, though, that I think we're a ways to go from anything potentially here happening, and that's assuming that anything even does happen. Um, I talked to an executive in the NFL uh, this weekend who, who just – sort of unprompted kind of said to me he really finds it hard to believe that the that Dan Snyder would be doing what he's being accused of that it doesn't really make a lot of sense based on how the audits in the league are conducted um and by the way like as a basic level you know there's a lot of money sharing that is going on here obviously that's sort of the part of this at least in the last few years, Washington is on the receiving end of that. They're not the place with the sellout crowds. Um, the idea that he would be uh, skimming money, he's the one benefiting from it right now, right? So I don't I don't know. That it, doesn't, it doesn't sort of make logical sense to me right now, but at a minimum, we just haven't seen enough evidence. So I'm not saying anything is impossible here. I'm just saying I would slow down, don't get overly excited, Let's see where this story goes, just like we do with every story. And one other thing that was brought up to me um, by multiple people is sort of a political aspect, and that is 
right now, the Democrats are controlling Congress. If you look at the projections out there in the polls, that won't be the case in November. And if at some point here, all these politicians are going to start focusing on their own reelections. So, you know, in a few months, whatever is going on here may kind of get quiet anyway. So at the moment, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of information we have. I don't know how quickly any more information will come out. We'll see. So not saying anything possible. I'm just saying I wouldn't get overly worked up quite yet would be my advice for anybody who is listening. Um, but, you know, more to come on this for The Athletic. And obviously there's a lot of outlets checking uh, or looking into this. And, and uh, we will see where where this goes. Now, uh, as far as the stadium, um, I did just want to share a couple of things. You know, I've obviously have this hasn't been my number one topic. We had Michael Phillips on from the Richmond times dispatch. who's done a lot of work on this covering from the Virginia perspective, but, but I've had thoughts along the way and I did want to share a few other things here from what I've gathered um, for sure. Now, a couple things I have said from the beginning, I believe I've said this on this podcast. I, I lose track. Did I, was I saying this on the radio? Did I write something? Did I tell Lenny? I don't know. I, I believe I said though, from early on that when Virginia was being perceived as some sort of a front runner because they were the ones their legislatures were talking, their politicians were discussing things. Money was being thrown out over a billion dollars. They were going to contribute to a new stadium. I believe I said that this is because Virginia is in third. They need to catch up. They need to be more aggressive. They are coming from a a tougher spot because no, they don't have a location that's nearly as interesting as DC or Maryland. I get it that we all kind of were not, particularly thrilled with the Landover site, but it is inside the Beltway. That's way more attractive than Dulles Airport or Dumfries or anything along those lines. Dulles gets a little more okay once the Metro gets out there, but it's still farther out and, you know, all that stuff. So I have maintained that Maryland, to me, is the leader, and I still maintain that. Now, I do believe at this point the D.C. situation feels pretty bleak based on it is it's not Mayor Bowser's stadium to give she has to get approval from congress in a variety of ways it's federal land and that doesn't seem to be where anything is going now it's possible these midterm elections change that but regardless it does it feels like that is easily the longest of the shots some might even say it's just we can just say it's not going to happen i won't go there yet but i don't i do think it's the longest of of the shots um i still think maryland is the is the likely spot you know, Dan Snyder already owns the land at FedEx Field. There's been some talk, I know, of that it would be you could take, put the new stadium and build it in the parking lot. My understanding is they actually have land that is even off the parking lot that's closer to the Metro. I'm not saying like way closer, but a bit closer. So I think there's just more options over there where they could build it. So I, I think that is still the front runner, and that's the sense that I've gotten um, you know, as, as using my spidey sense and, and trying to talk to, you know, different people on the topic, that's kind of where I'm at. Now, if they're going to do something here, we all kind of know that the basic timeline, right? 2027 is when we've all sort of been pointing to that's when there, anything is, something's going to get started, etc. But in order for that to happen, that's going to have to, a decision will have to be made by the end of 2022. Okay. Here's the thing, though. I've also been saying that I don't understand why we're all just assuming they're out by 2027. 
I get it. They have said that in part. But they own it. There's no there's nobody actually forcing anybody out. It's just a matter of changing the terms of the current lease. And I don't see the realism of a lease. It's just Washington is there. They they can do whatever they want. Peachy County's not going to say, sorry, you have to, you know, technically you have to stay here until this point. Then we're going to kick you out. No, they'll, they'll just say, fine, you can stay. And from just purely a business perspective, I don't think Dan Snyder, Dan Snyder is negotiating into a headwind all over the place, right? Because he's not exactly Mr. Popular right now. I don't think anybody locally is like, they, everybody understands it's the price you have to pay for doing business. He owns the team, and if you want the team, that's what you have to deal with. But you don't have to be embrace it. And I don't. I think when you listen to Maryland politicians talk about this and DC as well, I don't think you're getting the, the the total warm fuzzies. They want the team, but I don't think they're really embracing Dan Snyder. And that's one reason why Virginia's bid has come down from over a billion to like three hundred and fifty million. I it's not nothing is finalized on on these some of these numbers, but that seems like kind of where they're at. Because there's nobody bidding against them. There was no reason to keep going up that high. So I would say Maryland is in the lead. I still I still would say that in general, there's a ways to go. And we'll see what happens. And I think another... Uh, but anyway, I, I would say keep in mind. I, I, I wouldn't... This is more of my opinion than fact. All I think Jason Wright, though, did say some version of this the other day on WUSA. That, and that first time I had heard this, but I've said this before... That 2027, I think they want to get out by for sure, but they don't have to. And I do think that's important to keep in mind through, throughout all this. Uh, and there, there has been mentions previously of this being a dome situation. I think that is where things are going to go. Also, it's not going to be a huge stadium in terms of uh, attend, uh, seats. It's not going to be 90,000. I think I, I don't know what's going to be in the tidy 55,000 or so range of RFK, but I would probably bet it's closer to that than it's going to be to 90, would be my assumption at this point. Um, and again, obviously, we're talking about more than just a stadium. We're talking about a whole complex. That's a whole separate issue. But that that's kind of where I'm at on, on all these things uh, for now. So we'll see where this goes. But, you know, like I said, I think Maryland, I think that, 2027 is is more of an artificial number that at this point that I think people have maybe let on. So we will see where this goes. Um, where we're going to go though right now is we're going to talk with my colleague, or I'm going to play for you my interview with my colleague Zach Kiefer. Uh, again, you can go check out my Terry McLaurin article uh, up tomorrow on the Athletic. But right now we're going to talk about Carson Wentz, what Jim Ursay had to say, more of reporting from Zach on this, and there's some positive stuff in here as well. I promise it's not all doom and gloom. I promise we'll get to that right now here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. All right. Um, as promised, joining me here on the podcast, he is back, triumphant return, because the Carson Wentz cult saga had another twist uh, during the NFL owners meeting, and he reported on all of it. He is Zach Kiefer, my colleague at The Athletic. And, um, you know, you when, when the Carson Wentz trade went down a couple weeks ago, you had a big story, a lot of juicy details about why the Colts decided to move on. And then the owners meeting happens and we kind of go through it again because this time the uh, Jim Ursay, the owner, he talked like publicly, which is a weird for people listening to me because our owner doesn't talk ever. So we have to talk to you about it. Uh, thanks. Thanks for doing this. Uh, let's just get into it. Carson Wentz, what's the latest? Yeah, it was probably revealing and startling and stunning for a lot of Washington and 
NFL fans to hear an owner talk about a player like this, it wasn't for me because this is really the impetus for the trade. And it was a decision that all three of them made, but this was a decision Jamerce made first. He was determined to move on from Carson Wentz. And he said it. He said it this week in his hotel suite at the Breakers down in Palm Beach. He said, look, after the Jacksonville debacle, he realized that something was wrong. And in his conversations with Chris Ballard and Frank Reich, and then in his conversations with veteran players on the team, he realized something was very concerning. Those are his words. Something was wrong. He said that Jacksonville was not an accident. And for the Commanders fans who are not familiar, basically the Colts had to win one of their final two games to make the playoffs. They were on this great run in late December. They lost to the Las Vegas Raiders by a, a late field goal, and then they went to Jacksonville. They were 15-point favorites, the biggest road favorites they've ever been in franchise history, and they got blown out. They got absolutely embarrassed, and Jim Mercy said it wasn't an accident. He realized something was wrong. He wanted to move on from Carson Wentz, and he called it a very obvious decision. And, and like I said, I mean, there's to a certain degree, it's a little bit of piling on at this point. You, what, he, what he said, I mean, there may be some finer details there that, that are new, but for the most part, it's sort of the similar story to what you had reported and what, what's been out there about why they moved on. So at this point, it is just sort of like, oh, wow, they just want to keep going down this path. Now, obviously, we all kind of get how this works a little bit all of us in life to some degree, we want to justify our own actions. And sometimes that means having to smack down others that we d- deem to be holding us back in this case or whatever it may be. And that is a bit of what's happening here, but to hear it again, obviously it's made the rounds. It's got people interested. You had another really good story off this, off this that got attention. Um, just as an anecdote, we, a bunch of us from the athletic went to dinner Tuesday night after sort of the, the the meetings were kind of over and everybody was going to go on their separate ways. And I was seated between Zach and Stephen Holder, our other Colts reporter. And I don't know what percentage of the night's conversation at our table was about Carson Wentz, but it was a large part of it. And I kind of kept feeling based on like how it was going, that everybody was both mocking me and sort of sympathizing with me that, oh, well, now this is your, your problem. And, and this is just how this Carson Wentz thing is right now. It's just, it is just, so much negative is out there in part because real people are talking about it and it just makes it so confusing. I think for those of us who are now receiving Carson Wentz to try to process everything. It's not something I can easily identify. Like, and, and I talked to the Philly guys before Carson came to Indianapolis and now we're talking to you and it's like, he's not a bad guy. He hasn't done anything off the field to get in trouble but he's a lightning rod and that's the reality. And he kind of was at the tail end of Philadelphia and then certainly in Indianapolis. And for whatever reason, there is so much attention and sometimes criticism and it's just never simple. It's never straightforward. It's never boring. But, you know, one thing I will add to this, um, Jim Mercedes comments got a lot of attention and a lot of buzz and a lot of perhaps criticism. Let's move away from that for one minute. There were also very real football reasons why the Colts moved on. Very real, tangible football reasons why they moved on. It wasn't one or the other. It was a little bit of a combination of both. They didn't feel he was the right fit as a franchise face at at the quarterback position. But also, um, they were concerned about him running the offense. And it wasn't good enough, is what we were told. It just simply wasn't good enough. And me and my colleague Stephen Holder have said this many times on our podcast, and, and Commanders fans will experience this this season. Carson has a lot of ability. He will make some amazing plays. He will make some highlight plays. 
but he struggles making the simple plays. And football is hard enough as it is. He makes it harder than it needs to be. He needs to find a way to make things easier. And maybe he does that with Scott Turner and, and the Washington offensive staff, but he made it harder than it needed to be this year. He had an absolute talent at running back this year, the best running back in the league, 1,800 yards, a stud in Michael Pittman, and yet the offense absolutely collapsed at the end of the season. And, and a lot of that goes back to the quarterback. So let's not just get hung up on Ursay's comments. You know, maybe he is driving him into the ground when he doesn't need to. But there were football reasons as well. Yeah, and, and you know, to the point of <laughs> this is a bad – this is like some bad movie where, like, the, the, the older brothers are passing down the, the, the tales from one generation to the next. So Zach Berman and Bo Wolf told you. Now you're telling me. And I spoke to, to Zach Berman here as well about this. And a lot of what he said about Carson Wentz, the player, lined up with exactly what you what you were telling us as well, the, 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 the pension for some hero ball, not willing to take the simple passes to the running back. And if you look at Carson Wentz's stats uh, per true media, since he entered the league, or maybe at least since 2017, he, he's thrown, he throws very rarely to running backs, even just sort of the simple you know, plays, you know, just to the check downs or, or what have you, forces passes. There's also a notion of maybe he's not the most clutch guy in the world and, you know, you know throws passes with his offhand when you're like, once in a blue moon, maybe that's a thing, but some, something that you can count, start start a count on, it, it becomes problematic. And this is where Washington's going to have a lot of, a lot of challenges. Um, you and I have talked a bit, and, and I'll read a Ron Rivera quote here in a second, but you and I have talked a little bit about your reaction to Washington's reaction to getting him just, I guess, for the audience, what's been your basic reaction to seeing how Ron Rivera and others have sort of tried to talk themselves perhaps into what Carson Wentz can, can be for them. I found it fascinating that, that Frank Wright called Ron Rivera unprompted and said, look, this is the guy you're getting. You're getting, you know, a hard worker, a guy who wants to win. And Carson Wentz is those things. And he's tough too. He's really freaking tough. He played on two, ankle sprains seven days after they happened Aaron Donald almost smacked his body in half and tore up his ankle I mean you can't even watch the video without I mean it, it's rough man and he played seven days later and that got him a lot of respect in that locker room but at the same time I understand Washington's position you need a quarterback you need a quarterback Carson is a starting quarterback in this league simply based on his talent that doesn't mean he's not going to be exasperated and I expect the same things to happen in Washington that happened in Indianapolis and I wouldn't buy into the 27 and seven argument. I just, if, if, you, if you use that argument, you didn't watch the games. There's a lot more to it than that. And as my colleague, Stephen Holder has said, you just had to be there. It's, it's not nearly as simple as 27 touchdowns and seven interceptions. Um, you know, the Colts were two and five and one score games last year. And he had a lot to do with that. He really did. He only had one game where he really stepped up in critical moments. There were a lot of opportunities. He really only had one game and that was Arizona. He made three great drives, three great throws on the last drive and hit Patman for that touchdown. I'm sure you've seen it. It's an amazing play from a quarterback, throwing against his body in the corner of the end zone. But go back and watch the earlier parts of those games. I tweeted during that game that he was missing high school throws because he was. It was really rough. That's the roller coaster you're going to get on. Does Carson believe this is his last shot? It has to be his last shot to be a starting franchise guy in this. Does that change his impetus? Does that change his approach i don't know it's going to be fascinating to find out but i can promise you it's not going to be boring <laughs> yeah i mean and ron, ron rivera look obviously he's been very positive about the situation and you know, you know understandably so he's made the move there's no turning back so he's gotta 
see it through. And he, he did tell us at the owners meeting that one thing they really liked looking at Carson Wentz was his ability to throw deep and what that could mean for receivers like Terry McLaurin and Deami Brown, you know, whatever Taylor Heineke was, he didn't have the strongest arm. And, and that was kind of taken off the books for them last year. So for that, they hope that at a minimum, that's the type of thing that they can get out of this offense, help open things up uh, across the board. They'll have to work on some of these other factors with, with, with Wentz um, to go back to sort of Carson Wentz, I guess the guy a little bit, here's what Rivera said the other day. Uh, and I wanted to get your reaction to this. He said, quote, one thing I really appreciate is how resilient he is watching him do the press conference. I loved how he refers to we, and then I loved how he took responsibility for his stuff, for his for decisions he's made for things that he's done. I appreciate that as a coach listening to the guy that's more concerned about the team thing, us being a, we, but Hey, that's my fault. That's my responsibility. I got to get that corrected. I appreciate that. Um, and end quote. So that's what Rivera's view of, of, uh, Carson Wentz's introductory press conference. Now, as a reporter who has not dealt with Carson Wentz, I kind of gave him a thumbs up. I wrote as much that um, r- that day because I, I'm, I, I don't know what to expect. I'm hearing all these, you know, this sounds like a broken guy. I, you know, I don't know what to think. I thought he did okay. You know, whatever. He's not the world's most, he's not going to do a TED talk, but okay, whatever. It's fine. But you're looking at it as a guy who's, who's covered him for a year. And I think you had a different view of his press conference as well as, Rivera's uh, comments yeah and maybe we overdo these press conferences it doesn't really matter what you say all that matters is what you do on Sundays in the fall that's all that matters if Carson wins in Washington we won't care at all what he said in a March press conference same thing with coaches when they take over teams Um, there were times this year when he could have been more accountable I believe publicly for some certain things that went wrong and I don't I don't think I'm alone in that opinion. It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what people in the building think. And I do think some inside the Colts building were put off a little bit at some of the things he said after some losses, after some tough games. Um, They wanted more. They wanted more accountability. They wanted more on his shoulders. And they didn't feel like they got that. Now, that's not universal. I do want to say that a lot of guys really liked playing with Carson Wentz and really thought he was tough and he was a good teammate. Not everybody did, but some guys really did. Um, but I think they wanted a little bit more on that front and, and that didn't help his case. You know, it's one thing if you're doing that and playing great, he played great some weeks and played terrible the other weeks. There was a little bit of a roller coaster, as is the case usually with him. Um, but some wanted a little bit more in terms of accountability. We'll be interested to see what Ron Rivera says about that a year from now, possibly two years from now. Um, and, and sort of lastly on the sort of, well, not to maybe last on Wentz, but just to maybe offer some slight pushback from the outside. Okay. I get it. Carson Wentz is not everybody's favorite quarterback. And I get that there's clearly concerns. Obviously, as we know, it's not just the Colts who moved on from him. The Eagles did so before. So something is amiss and watch it's now Washington's turn to figure this out. That said, you know, he wasn't, you mentioned uh, Michael Pittman, who's a good receiver, but it's not like he has like a bunch of good receivers at, at the Colts. I think the Colts still need to go get receiver help right now. Um, yeah, it, that, that's a concern for for them. Um, you know, I, I don't sometimes it's not fair to look at a, a, a points allowed by a defense and just assume that the defense it's all on the defense. But Carson Wentz doesn't play defense and they gave up what 26 points to Jacksonville. You can tell us how much of those points were set up because of mistakes that he maybe have made. But in any event, it, it feels like there's almost a little too much piling on to a degree from those from those aspects. And, you know, if they had won one of those last two games, they make the playoffs. 
are the Colts getting rid of Carson Wentz at that point? I mean, I'll let you tell us if you, what you think, but I'm going to guess kind of no, but maybe their owner would have said screw it anyway, because he was done anyway. It, because it does feel like it's gone a bit overboard on how bad we're, we're all sort of reacting to, to what the view of Carson Wentz, what do you kind of say to those aspects, what he didn't have, then maybe what he's sort of getting blamed for that really isn't necessarily his fault. Yeah. Does this feel like piling on? Yes. Is the blame falling at his feet too much? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yes. This was not a one man. This is not one man to blame. It's just not football is a team game and the Colts are built in a way where the team is, is, is responsible. And this wasn't all on Carson. I've been saying that for months. And if they make the playoffs, I, I think he's back. I think he's the Colts starting quarterback in 2022. Jacksonville solidified everything for Ursa. Jacksonville, Las Vegas. He had his concerns already, but the, the late season collapse confirmed that. I've been saying this for two months, though. They need to have more receivers around him. Some of the receivers backslid last year. Now, they think that was partly Wentz. You know, Naheem Hines is a pretty good weapon out of the backfield. He went from 65 catches in 2020 with Phillip Rivers to just 40 last year. You know, they think some of those things are quarterback related. But let's be clear. This was an offensive regression. The quarterback had a, a large hand in it. But beyond Michael Pittman, they didn't have a number two receiver last year. I mean, T.Y. Hilton came back the second half of the season after a serious injury, but was never, never a huge factor like he's been in the past. So um, that's a very real thing. And the Colts deserve blame for that. Chris Ballard deserves blame. Frank Reich and Jim Mercer, they did not surround Carson Wentz with enough talent around him. They didn't coach those guys up well enough. And that hurt. So to blame this all on the quarterback, in my view, is, is incorrect. But unfortunately, due to the way this all ended and the one signature move that they made, a lot of eyes just go to Carson Wentz. It wasn't all his fault. Um, all right. Well, we'll see. We're going to get the we're going to get to experience it all here. Washington still have some moves to make. They do have some good offensive pieces. Their offensive line's a little bit in transition, but not bad. If the defense wakes up, hey, who knows? Maybe maybe, maybe Ron Rivera will be right. We'll we'll see. Um, in the in the months ahead. Um, while I have you here, just since we both just got back from um, from the owners' meeting, I'm just sort of curious. Like it, each each of us who goes there has their own certain little agenda, both in terms of what the team is doing and also who you're going to have access to. You you obviously were able to get from the owner on down, which is unique for for from our perspective. And Ron Rivera is more or less a one man show. Though Martin Mayhew did speak, and I should not discount him. I'm just saying Rivera's the viewed as obviously the the main guy. Um, what did you think of the, the owners meeting broadly, whether in terms of, you know, what it meant for you to be there, but also just to be around the whole league owners, GMs, coaches, and other dignitaries, including the commissioner of the league. Well, how, how is it for you? Yeah. I want to get a room at the breakers one weekend. I don't think I can afford it though, because I think we looked it up and it was like 10,000 a night. So it was fun to at least selling your left or right in the kidney. lobby from a, um, from a journalism standpoint, I feel like it's the most valuable two days we get all year. I, I just, and, and I know that I have a different experience from you, but you know, you talked to Frank Greg for a half an hour, at the coach's breakfast. We sat with Chris Ballard, the GM for an hour outside Monday afternoon. And, you know, 40% of it was off the record. 60% was on, but you kind of piece the puzzles to piece the, the puzzle pieces together better than any point in the year. And then you get an hour with the owner in his suite and, um, I mean, you can read my story. You can you can see what he said and how honest he was. So for me, it was it was it was dead on in terms of filling in the pieces. If I had the Carson Wentz story, I think about 90 percent over the last couple of weeks and what I wrote when the trade happened, 
I feel like this week confirmed that final 10%. You saw what Jamerse said. Um, but, you know, it's my job to relay why the Colts moved on. I don't think anybody has any questions right now why they moved on from Carson Wentz. They just didn't feel like he was the fit. Um, there are each of our focuses are on our teams. You got to be there to, at a minimum babysit when Rivera talks or when Bauer or Wright talk or, or, or what have you. Was there anybody else? that you were, whether that you were kind of just intrigued, maybe, maybe you don't have to spill what story you might be working on, but like anybody you were kind of intrigued. Like I, I spoke to uh, Nathaniel Hackett for a few minutes. I was sort of interested to see, because he's a bit of a different character than a lot of these like, sort of style yeah. coaches. Um, so that was interesting. I had more of a chance to move around when the AFC coaches all spoke, obviously, and you, the, the opposite for you. But was there anybody for you that was kind of interesting to, uh, to, to get a listen to? Two things. It was interesting what some of the owners said, and I wasn't here for all of them, but a couple of them about Deshaun Watson's contract, right? Like, yeah. whoa, you get, like Cleveland really kind of changed things and they weren't happy about it. And then number two, um, caught up with Nick Sirianni, former Colts offensive coordinator, now runs the show in Philadelphia, just about some decisions over the last couple of years, what it's like to have five quarterbacks in five years. He was a part of a lot of them. Um, and it, it, it was good to get a sense of what Matt Ryan's going to bring to the Colts as well from a lot of different people that know. Um, but yeah, the hamster wheel just continues in Indianapolis, man. I know in Washington, you guys know the same thing, but I, it's six different week one starting quarterbacks in six years come September. So um, I need a vacation. That's the bottom line. Yeah, you do have to, you know, just like the offensive coordinator has to every year redo the, the playbook because it's a new quarterback well as the beat reporter you have to redo your view of how this offense and the team will be because there is a new quarterback and and one thing that is interesting when you compare the Colts to Washington it's sort of maybe a little bit easier to sort of bag on Carson Wentz considering Peyton Manning Andrew Luck uh Philip Rivers have come through I'm probably even forgetting somebody else Carson Wentz other than like I me mean, he depending on how he performs he will be as good or anybody they've had in several years, Kirk Cousins was it's sort of in that Kirk Cousins, healthy Alex Smithy level. The, but Washington has gone through, a, you know, a, a ton of guys. They've had six different starting quarterbacks under Rivera. None of them would be at the level of Carson Wentz, the, the good version. And so that, that that's part of why it's it, it's one. It's maybe a little bit easier to sort of poke at the guy, because from that perspective, you've, you guys have had success here. It's like, oh, hey, pretty exciting. That's a good point. And one last thing before I let you go is I heard this this week and I thought it was really interesting. There is a belief among some that Carson getting out of his comfort zone, getting away from those he knows really well and trust will be a good thing, right? So super comfortable with Frank Reich. Previously in Philadelphia, he was close with Doug Peterson. I'm sure they're, I'm sure they went through some ups and downs, but him getting out of that comfort zone, maybe a little bit uncomfortable, doesn't know. I don't think he, I don't know how much of a relationship he had with anybody in Washington before the trade happened. That might be a good thing. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. But like you said, the, the bar is different in Indianapolis and Washington, perhaps for that position. But this guy can do some good things. He really can. But it's a roller coaster. It is that. All right. Well, if you haven't read Zach's latest story, uh, Jim Ursay talking about Carson Wentz and the Colts overall, uh, I suggest you go do that on The Athletic. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to let you be. I hope I don't have to come back and hit you up again, but I imagine it's We'll, we'll talk again. I'm Obviously, passing the beat on to you. I'm passing the Carson Wentz beat on to you. It's officially yours. I appreciate I appreciate that. We, we obviously will see each other during the year because these two teams will play, which, and that'll be an interesting game for sure. Thanks, man. I definitely appreciate it. Thanks, man. All right. 
Big thanks to Zach Kiefer for his time. Thanks to everybody here for checking out the podcast. Again, you can subscribe to The Athletic a dollar a month for six months. Uh, you can check out my new Terry McLaurin article, read what I wrote from the uh, NFL owners meeting last week, and everything else that The Athletic has to offer. Um, more podcasts to come. Excited to get to share with you guys who else I've talked to this week. Plenty to get to. Uh, we, we didn't even discuss here, obviously, the draft, free agency. We'll get to all that, but you know, wanted to get to some other topics as well. So that's it for now. Ben Standing signing off. Until next time, see ya.